1: On this episode of the Multi Amory podcast, we're at the first annual Southwest Love Fest in Tucson, Arizona, speaking with lawyer Jonathan Lane, who specializes in family law for the polyamorous, kinky, and LGBTQ communities. Uh, so, first of all, we're here at Southwest Love Fest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So
0: happy to be in Tucson.
1: Yeah. I'm is, so
2: sweaty to be in Tucson. Yes.
1: It is a warm place to uh-huh. be. It's Indeed, true. it is. Uh, but we've been having a great time. We've given one of our talks so far, and we're doing another one tomorrow about relationship anarchy. which Not a should lot be of multi amory
2: fans, which has been really Yeah, sweet. Thank you, everyone. Actually, yes. right before we recorded this, a multi-Emory fan bought us a bunch of drinks in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And by,
1: by a bunch of drinks, I, she means one round of they drinks. They bought
2: us a round of drinks. Yes. That's, I, this individual bought many drinks for each yes. of us. That's true. So. That's true. Yes.
1: Um, and also for like Dr. Elizabeth Chef right. and, and Ruby John- Booty Johnson's here. Yes, and, uh, like there's a, a bunch of people here uh, who've either been on our show before, like Kevin Patterson's mm-hmm. here. Uh, so it's really cool to get to see all these people, many of whom we haven't seen in person before. Right. Yeah, um, which it's is big, really cool.
0: Big honor. So yeah. glad to be here. Yeah. And with that.
1: And with that, let's, let's get into it. Let's get into this. So in this episode, we're talking about. Um, you know, advice from a lawyer. We did this a while ago with Diana Adams, talking mostly about family law. Mostly we're going to talk custody about custody
2: as well. Mostly
1: custody, and so we're going to talk about some other nuances that have to do with marriage and family law, things like immigration, um, different ways that divorces can go, um, legal like uh, getting fired from jobs, stuff like that, which is really cool. Um, so, you want to get into it?
2: Let's yeah. Do it. Let's do it. Okay, we are here at our hotel room at the Southwest Love Fest in Tucson, Arizona, and we have invited Jonathan Lane to come to our hotel room with us. Not for anything presentation. awesome presentation himself. Uh but to talk to us. So Jonathan, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do?
3: Well, I'm an attorney at JD Lane Law and my practice focuses primarily on family law, including divorce, child custody. Protections for non-traditional families and changes of name and gender. My huh. practice emphasizes sexually diverse communities, including the polyamorous, kinky, and LGBTQ. I'm what? licensed in the District of Columbia and Maryland, and I have an inactive license in California. Okay, got it. Because okay, you're
1: from California, I am
3: actually He's from, from Tucson. Oh, like right. Like me,
0: we are the
2: same.
1: <laughs> in you're in the that same person. <laughs> Okay, great.
2: How long have you been practicing law within the polyamorous community?
1: It's been about a
3: year and a half since I decided that there was this need. Uh, Basically most of these issues are issues of state law, and you basically need a lawyer who is licensed in your state. Mm -hmm. Uh, Diana Adams is the pioneer of this field, but she's only licensed in New York.
0: Right. And so, you're the up-and-coming Diana Adams, so it's you're okay. You're the next Diana Adams. Yeah, you're the next generation of well, Diana. That
3: is that is quite a compliment. <laughs> <laughs>
2: we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh-huh. So, um. I know, so basically, to let our listeners in, the way that this episode came to be is that we all, after we finished our presentations, we all went out for a drink in the hotel, we all sat down um, and started talking about the stuff that Jonathan does. And Jonathan, you mentioned specifically that... You also work particularly in immigration cases and how they relate to like polyamory. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work um, doing that?
3: Yes, so I have a background in immigration law, actually from working with uh, special immigrant juveniles uh, from uh, Central America. Oh, wow. uh, and so I started doing those cases pro bono six or seven years ago. And I've, I've worked with about seven children uh, on those cases. Uh, And so when I realized that there was a need for the legal services and and among the polyamorous that included immigration, I was getting questions about immigration. So, um, yeah, there's there's a couple different big areas. Uh, The first is that uh, the distinction between polyamory and polygamy is very important in the immigration context.
0: Do people not automatically know the difference between those two things just when you get into a legal situation or in front of a judge? Well,
3: I think a lot of times people hear that if you're a polygamist, then you can't become a U.S. citizen and they worry, oh, if I'm poly, does that mean that? I'm not gonna be able to become a US citizen. Right. Mm.
2: So I'm actually gonna put a pin in that really quick cause that was something we wanna talk about more. Cause I had no idea that if you are polygamous or if you're married to multiple people, then you're barred from becoming a US citizen. Yeah. I had no idea.
1: Yeah, so can you tell us what, what what's the detail of that? <laughs> what's <Like>. the deal?
3: <laughs> uh, it's part of the laws and regulations of who can become a citizen in the United States are that you have to have good moral character and huh. it was decided at some point that being a polygamist means that you, by definition, do not have good moral character. If you have multiple spouses. spouses.
2: Well, I wonder if that was, I know that, I think it was turn of the century when a lot of like the bigamy, or it was earlier than the turn of the century, when a lot of the bigamy laws were getting on the books. That was hmm. like part of a big pushback against like what the Mormons were doing and things like that. I wonder if that was a product of that time as well, of kind of deciding that, you know, we don't want to let anyone in who is promoting what we see as bigamy, essentially.
3: Well, it's a good question. I mean, basically, all US immigration law comes from 1924 to the present. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, there was like the Chinese Exclusion Act and
1: stuff like that, but most people could just show up.
2: See? right wow. which is
1: how most of our families got here, got here. we, we just did those us, dna did tests like, yeah, so we've been talking we've
0: been about, about 23man uh-huh. ancestry.com
2: yeah right. i see okay so that's on the books that like if you're polygamous which i think is obviously something that comes up mostly if you're coming from a predominantly muslim country or culture where you know having multiple wives maybe is more acceptable so if that's on the books that you can't become a citizen if if you're practicing polygamy in some way But it seems like in your situation that you're getting clients who are polyamorous and maybe someone who's immigrating is marrying someone who's a U.S. citizen and they both have, you know, a consensually non-monogamous relationship that there is the concern of like, is this going to have any repercussions? Will it disqualify me? Will it disqualify me for being able to immigrate essentially through marriage?
3: Exactly. And the short answer to that is no. Great.
2: And, <laughs> like done. Thank <laughs> Well
3: done. <laughs> it's always worth consulting with an immigration attorney uh, for your particular situation. Um, and the government does do an investigation into the marriages of people who claim immigration benefits on the basis of marriage. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that this is a legitimate romantic relationship and this isn't something that is being done just as a pretext. To get that immigration benefit, Mm -hmm. Uh, so the government will, uh, you know, some uh, an employee of the government will ask a lot of questions. Uh, They may take affidavits uh, where people say, "I know these people," and you know, this is where I've seen them socially, and this is sort of the context of their relationship and sort of vouching. Um, Right. uh, You can also show evidence. pictures and you know uh, lots of examples of things that when you are in a romantic relationship with someone you accumulate a lot of evidence of the time you've spent together. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean it definitely helps to have a lawyer who knows something about polyamory because if you don't then that might be a really big challenge for the people who are trying to like have immigrate or become immigrants of this country. Exactly. A lot of people don't know what polyamory is. Yeah.
3: And they may just get scared away. Uh, immigration lawyers obviously know about this polygamy thing and mm-hmm. they may just get freaked yeah. out, like, oh, well, mm-hmm. this is going to be a big problem right. or totally concerned. But it shouldn't be. You just have to be careful as you navigate the process in terms of how you present yourself in your relationship.
2: Well, when you talk about that, about being careful when navigating the process, like, I mean, what's kind of what, what can you practically like advise people to do because like what counts as careful is careful like you know continue to practice multiple relationships but make sure that you erase all evidence of ever being with any other partner on social media or like is that okay it's just that the government wants to focus on making sure that this particular marriage is valid like what are the things that people can or can't do if they're trying to mitigate the risk of of you know not being able to to immigrate
3: well you don't want to advertise that you're having sex with other people, because that will, you know, raise some concerns for a person from the government. But that isn't really their business. Uh, They're really there to figure out if your relationship is legitimate. And similarly, on Facebook, it's not common for people to say on Facebook, this is someone who I'm having sex with uh you know look at the look at this picture of us it's just you know so here's someone someone i'm spending time with and here's a picture and here's a picture of me with someone else i'm spending time with and you know those people one of them could be a spouse or a prospective spouse Mm -hmm. one could just be a friend uh it doesn't really matter it's kind of about Uh,
2: passing uh
3: so right uh i mean basically you want you want clear evidence that you have this substantial relationship with another person. Right. If you didn't have pictures with the person that you that you married or are planning to marry and you had lots of pictures with another partner, that would stand out and be really weird. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. But on
3: the other hand, if you have pictures with one person who is the person that you've married or are going to marry and pictures with another person who happens to be a partner, they could just as easily be a close friend.
2: Well, here's my question, though, because I always...
1: Yeah, I have a question, too.
3: (laughs) Like,
2: I always... Like, I try to think about it for my own life, right? You know, I Mm -hmm. think about, like, okay, so if somebody... If I married somebody uh, in order to immigrate or whatever, and, like, my personal life, obviously, this isn't applicable to everyone, but my personal life is, like, on my Instagram, I post specifically, oh, I'm celebrating my anniversary with With this particular partner. And then two months later, oh, I'm celebrating my anniversary with this particular partner. I know there's some people who are polyamorous who are, like, fine to post, like, kissy pictures with multiple. multiple partners. And so when it starts getting beyond that, like there's, you know, like it could be, it could be a friend, could be a closer, and we don't know, like when it gets beyond that point, like is that something that people should avoid doing or is that something that technically, even though that's happening, the government can't do anything because it's really not their business as long as this particular relationship is valid? Sorry, I keep trying to like make it more complicated, but... <laughs> well, I'd say that
3: it's worth being careful. And so you don't want to put things that really encourage those questions, because the more that's, that someone from the government notices something and they're asking questions, even if it may come to nothing, it'll just cause you problems and cause you stress. Right. And so if you are in that particular situation, then I would probably be careful about Overtly sexual or romantic photos with other partners
1: right, okay, yeah, I mean that's supposedly mine about just posting you know hashtag boyfriend hashtag girlfriend that that sort of stuff, <laughs> F- and it sounds Holy like it'd wife. be sort of the similar answer of um, i guess it's just it's just hard to say, and I guess tell me if I 'm right here, but what i 'm getting from you is that there isn't really a hard and fast and it's not like they see something like that and automatically you're disqualified because it's not illegal to do. Uh, But that it's more, you just don't want them to ask more questions than they need to. Or like you don't want them to have anything to doubt.
3: Exactly. Uh, If they are looking into social media accounts, you want it to be reasonably straightforward. Right. And having photos with multiple people
1: is normal. Right. Yeah. But, okay. All right. I, I mean, I think I get a sense for that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So, we wanted to move on to the next thing, which uh, you talked about in your presentation, which is about uh, prenups for marriage. So, I guess what we were wondering about is like, what are specific tips for people who are getting married, but who are polyamorous or in some other kind of non-monogamous relationship? Like, what are some things that a normal like prenup lawyer might not even think of or, or things like that, right?
3: <laughs> well, probably the best example of that is issues related to uh, the maintenance of monogamy. Uh, sometimes prenups will... so prenups mostly focus on finances right. in the case of a divorce. And sometimes they say, if there is a divorce, and if there's a certain cause or if, if X happened, then you get this certain amount of money and mm-hmm. so on. And sometimes that can be related to sex and like infidelity. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so you know, if, if this person has some sexual contact outside of the marriage, then therefore they are responsible for a certain additional amount of money like a penalty
2: gosh i can't even imagine having that conversation is it standard in a prenup to include like an infidelity clause i mean it makes
0: sense because it's probably a reason for people to be i I get it i mean is that
2: like like everyone does that or it's it's not routine
0: but it certainly
3: is something that happens oh a lot of the prenups are really it's up to the people who are preparing them and the couple to sort of decide what arrangements they want. And basically, as long as they have made proper disclosures and, uh, and everyone is properly represented, then it should hold up.
2: That's just so fascinating to me. Like, I'm very pro-prenup, personally. I mean, I'm, I'm not married and I'm not planning on getting married, but I'm very pro-prenup. Um, and I know some people think it's like very non-romantic or like a little bit too, I don't know. It's pragmatic. It's very pragmatic, yeah. maybe too pragmatic, according yeah. to some people. Yeah. I just can't even imagine having that conversation where you're trying to figure out what's the dollar amount assigned to you to on a How much is an affair worth? How much worth. is an affair worth?
0: You're a fair worth. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: Interesting. Yeah. Well, the thing that I think about prenups and the possible perverse incentives is divorce sucks.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's very traumatic. And you have to be really motivated to get a divorce and the idea that having worked out these financial things in advance is going to make you go ahead and divorce you're
1: probably going to do it anyways Mm. like Like, if if you're at the point where you're going to get divorced you're just going to do it anyway whether you have Mm a prenup or not the marginal case where you wouldn't get
3: divorced except that you already have this prenup that makes it much simpler. (laughs) It doesn't actually make a Uh, lot of sense.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah,
3: that's
0: that's a good point. Yeah, Yeah. I guess that's true. Well, speaking of divorce, you talked about divorce in your talk today um, and specifically like dissolving marriages and handling divorce. But how do you do that within consensually non-monogamous couples? And what does like divorce look like? You talked about like four different ways in which things can kind of pan out. Exactly. Uh,
3: So there are uh, four different ways that you can proceed with divorce. First two are relatively obvious. One is you don't hire a lawyer, uh, just the two people agree on all the issues uh, and then they just file things with the court to make that legally binding.
1: And, and is that like, is there like a checklist of all the things you have to agree on? Or do you just have to kind of come up with it yourself?
0: Like
3: we're
2: divorced now. Uh,
3: <laughs> there are basic forms that okay. are available in hmm. probably every state. They figure okay. out like
2: how you're going to split up your assets, your assets and all that. Like uh, that. Uh,
3: yes. Yeah. So there, as you know, millions of people get divorced each year and mm-hmm. a high percentage of them don't have lawyers and a lot of them don't have significant assets, Uh, sometimes, actually, you're dealing with how to
0: split up their
1: debts. Right,
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. yes. See, the
0: media would tell you otherwise. I'm like, oh, everyone who gets divorced has (laughs) a lawyer.
1: It does seem that way. Right,
0: right. 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 Uh, exactly. They
3: also tell you that everyone who's getting married that the average wedding is $30,000. Yeah, right. And clearly, when the median income Mm -hmm. is, you know, fifty something right. thousand a year. Good for, guy. Uh, for people, you know, a marrying age. That's not actually the median of what people spend.
2: Yeah. That is fu- actually sorry I want to kind of jump on that cuz that is so funny about how the media distorts your perception of it because mm-hmm. yeah, like I was just having the a conversation Kramer
0: Kramer yes, I was like just having everything. a conversation yeah. with my
2: sister actually about the cost of a wedding dress oh. and she told me what it was and I was like, "What? It was that cheap?" and she was like, "Oh, that was kind of expensive." And I was like, cuz the media thinks it makes me think that everyone spends $5,000 on their wedding totally. dress, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah or at least a couple grand. Like yeah. that was what I thought. Yeah. I thought everyone my, my, budgeted a couple my wife grand.
3: Spent, my wife spent about a thousand dollars and I, I winced a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow.
3: Anyway, sorry,
2: I just, what, did, think that's what did she spend on the dress? I don't know if she wants. Okay. One, All right. Sorry. Not thousands of dollars, but it's a beautiful dress, but this is not what this podcast is about. So let's get, <laughs> <laughs> let's get yeah.
0: speaks about wedding so, dresses. Sorry, that
2: was the one you're going through a list of four. Yes.
3: yes. Uh, so, so oh, as exactly. I was saying, uh, doing it yourself can make sense when uh, partners have similar earnings Mm -hmm. and limited assets, Mm. and there's no kids. Uh, And then it can work and it certainly saves some money. Mm. And I've uh, I've had clients who I've worked with, uh, who were going about that process and just had a few questions about just how to make it run smoothly. And I just worked with them just very briefly on that. So the other extreme is for each party to hire a lawyer and for each of those lawyers to prepare to go to court to have those issues decided by a judge through a trial. Usually, along the way, there's a settlement, but there are a lot of legal fees typically up, yeah, even up if you that. don't get to an actual right. trial. Right, right. And uh, there's a lot of reasons to try to avoid the trial process if you can. And poly people are even more unlikely than others to want to judge to be making judgments about their (coughs) marriage.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting and I actually am really encouraged to hear about the really simple version of doing this because we've encountered a number of people who identify as polyamorous who are married, um, who maybe decide they don't want to be married anymore, not that that's the end of the relationship. Like they still wanna be in a relationship together. It's just that like, they don't want legal marriage anymore or maybe they wanna be able to legally marry someone else in order for someone to have health insurance or for different parenting rights or whatever. Or
1: immigration, like we are talking about Right, and so,
2: but I think that I've seen a lot of people who are like, well, we think that we wanna dissolve our marriage. But we but all that we see in the media is like these horrible yeah. long divorce proceedings that seem awful when it's like we just kind of want to just be able to kind of split this up so just that we can kind of restructure our relationship in a little bit of a different way. So yeah. it is really the way nice that we to, want yeah, yeah to hear about that. but that also does make sense that if it is kind of looking more like a traditional divorce that having a possibly more traditional judge be the one deciding, who what the value is of what in your relationship in your very non-traditional relationship that maybe some people wouldn't want to really want to go through that. And
0: it sounds like that's on like one end, one extreme, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
3: So those are those are the extremes in terms of how complicated it is and how expensive it is. Right. So then there's two other things that are kind of in between those two. Uh, one is mediation, uh, in which a neutral mediator works with both parties to identify the relevant issues and talk through those issues and then work to come to an agreement on those issues. Obviously this is not easy, but it does usually work. And I'm, I'm a trained divorce mediator not all mediators are lawyers. There are some excellent mediators who are not lawyers. Uh, But if you work with a mediator who is a lawyer, that person can then write up the agreement between the parties as a contract, which then can be, um, basically submitted to the judge with the paperwork.
0: So
1: it sounds like this option is kind of like option number one, where you settle it yourselves. So you're just kind of having someone help you do that, right? Like kind of guiding you through that process?
3: Well, in, in a way, well, yes, you're coming to a settlement. And really, uh, and the, the last option that I'll cover is a, sort of another way of reaching, uh, of okay. reaching a settlement. Uh, and that's the collaborative process, which is a voluntary dispute resolution process in which you settle without resort to litigation but each side has a lawyer Hmm. Uh, so it's a very different dynamic to be working with as a lawyer Uh, it's much more cooperative but each lawyer is work is working for the client's best interest the way it works is that basically all the information that's relevant and like should be part of the decision making about how money should get settled or what should happen with child custody if that's an issue all that uh all that information is voluntarily disclosed and then the parties agree to use good faith efforts in their negotiation to reach a settlement like you would in a mediation Mm -hmm. but each party has a lawyer and the interesting thing about this process is that when you start this process you sign an agreement that says if you leave the process and file a lawsuit, then your lawyer will no longer be your lawyer.
2: You have to get, and a, you have different to get a different
3: lawyer. lawyer to represent you in the lawsuit, which
2: okay.
3: it changes the dynamics. Yeah, sure. totally. Because oh. you have a lawyer who's really just working on a settlement, and you're motivated for a settlement. Uh, divorce trials can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. so. uh right. It so like helps to make sure be, your lawyer isn't could be a trying st- reverse to. Incentive, <laughs> right. right, I with, see. with this way, keeping things in the process, it encourages both the client and the lawyer to do whatever they can to come to an agreement. I see. Right.
2: I see. That and makes
3: sense. I should note that the process also has opportunities to involve mental health and financial professionals, because divorce is not just a legal proceeding. But it's an emotional proceeding Mm -hmm. and a financial proceeding.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
2: to get you not just the 50 percent discount but also the 100 percent free shipping code m-u-l-t-i so you were telling us a story a little bit earlier about handling a divorce for a couple that was consensually non-monogamous but it was more of a traditional divorce like they weren't going to be in a relationship with each other um but they were consensually non-monogamous and that was something that you had to disclose to the other lawyer yes
3: so uh what happened is uh i knew that my client was was poly and that they'd been poly throughout their relationship I don't think it had come up with the other side and and his lawyer. And so the other lawyer sent me a set of questions called interrogatories that within 30 days we had to respond to, typed out, these are our answers to these questions, sworn under oath. Most of them were things about money, things like uh, what are your credit card accounts, and Mm -hmm. what are the balances, and what are your checking accounts, and all, all this financial stuff. But then towards the end, there was the following. State whether you have had sexual relationships with any person other than your spouse since the date of your marriage to your spouse. And if so, state the names, addresses, and telephone numbers of each such persons, the date of sexual relations, and the place of sexual relations. Jeez. <laughs> so
1: here's my 50-page document. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> here's my big I'm Like I wrote
0: it in my diary every single time <laughs> <laughs> it happened. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yikes. It just doesn't make
1: any
3: sense in the no. poly context, uh, and you have to respond under oath to these questions. And this is actually not that unusual a question. I think really? this is probably it one sounds of so that this weird lawyer. To us. This yeah. is a very experienced lawyer on the other side, and he probably puts that in for every case. Right. Uh, I see. And so you can imagine that having this question could create some awkward conversations between an attorney and a client. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in my case, I knew that the client was Polly, and was comfortable with that, so I had no hesitation objecting the question. And I wrote back that, uh, they were consensually non-monogamous throughout their marriage, and therefore the details of any sexual relations with other persons is not relevant to this case.
2: And then that was, and then that was fine. That was so, so far. So far, <laughs> okay. So they just well, kind of dropped it. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. but I can't even imagine like if I was someone who was poly and I'm trying to go through a divorce and I just hire a lawyer. Who's not familiar with what's going on, and then suddenly having to field that question, you know, like I imagine much, much, being much more difficult in that scenario.
3: You may not even be thinking about, about poly. And, right. Uh, you, know, when you're, you know, poly is not generally the reason that people are divorcing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so people don't even think that it's going to be relevant. Right. and so then someone says hey list everyone that you've had sex with and where you've had sex with them and when you had sex with them it's it's really uh, out of left field it's and, yeah. and yeah. not a question that most people expect to have with their lawyer
2: right
1: uh, yeah right. seriously i could see that being a very awkward
2: conversation yeah, oh my gosh my goodness wow so we're gonna uh turn the corner a little bit here away from just talking about marriage and divorce um and we were curious about what have, have you seen any progress at all as far as securing any kind of employment protections for polyamorous people or people who are in non traditional relationships?
3: So there's an early movement to start trying to get protections at the city level uh, in cities around the country. Uh, and there's uh, there's some efforts in California as well as on the East Coast to start to uh, try to oh. lobby city councils to uh, to add uh, non-monogamy oh. to the categories that they protect. Hmm. That basically you can't be fired for that reason. Just within right.
2: like city jur- jurisdiction. Exactly. I see.
3: Exactly. Uh, we're not at the point where any states have have tackled it. We're just uh, we're just at the point where first few cities looking into it maybe in five, five years if we have 50 cities that have done it maybe we'll get some states that'll do it mm. I'd certainly imagine in in many states it's still legal to fire someone for being gay right uh, is, is that still I thought that, so that's, that I was yeah. under
1: the impression that was a federal protection but that's just on the state level
3: uh, so the, uh, there has not been a federal protection passed wow. and so Jeez. it's a
2: matter it's of ridiculous. state law
1: Wow. wow, okay, I didn't know that. That's really good yeah. to know. Well, now we
2: know that, now everyone knows that. Yes. And we gotta change that. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah, wow.
2: Right. Wow, interesting. That is good for people to know, though, of like starting on this city level that maybe seems a little bit less intimidating mm-hmm. than, because I feel like when these discussions come up about, you know, marriage rights for people who are non-monogamous or employment rights or child custody rights, I think everyone immediately goes to like, how do we get this to the Supreme Court? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Um which just feels like such a huge task. But I think the idea of knowing that like this can start at the city level and that's how we can kind of get these things to snowball is actually, I think encouraging Yeah, a little daunting, but also encouraging.
3: Absolutely. I think a lot of cities two or three years down the line, there can be a movement and maybe we'll have cities around the country that start to have those protections.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. Um, So I mean, at the moment, I, I don't know how much you know about this. I know you work mostly in, in family law, but, I mean, is, is there anything that someone could do if they were fired because their boss found out they were polyamorous and thought that was gross and fired them? Or are you pretty much SOL at this point?
3: Well, for most people in most jobs, uh, in most states, uh, employment is at will, which basically, mm. if, as That's long California. as there are not a few specifically listed things that are the reasons why you were fired, then you can be fired. And Mm -hmm. so being fired on the basis of race and gender are obviously examples of those. And in some states and some cities, being uh, gay is also included in that. Um, But so this similarly uh, being polyamorous is something that could be added to that, but it hasn't been. Uh, Sexual orientation has been defined
1: as being gay, straight, or bisexual. Right. So have you you found that there are a lot of, like have have a lot of cases come through your office related to that? Or is this, because I know a lot of people worry about it, about they worry about coming out as being polyamorous for fear of losing their job or, you know, some other repercussions like that. That, Like just in your personal experience, have you seen that there's a lot of that or, or do people maybe worry about that more than, like more than it actually happens
3: so i had one case where someone uh, wanted to talk to me about uh that they were hearing from their employer that they were probably going to be let go uh and it was not related to poly but to kink and there were some other there were some other additional issues but Basically, there wasn't much that could be done. Mm. Everyone's situation is different, but most people shouldn't freak out about, about the risk. The risk is still probably quite low. Consider how many people are non-monogamous in an unethical framework, and how rare it is to have any work consequences from that. I, uh, I just did a brief consultation with this person, it was sort of on an emergency basis, because right. uh, they, they needed to know. and. I didn't know of a poly-friendly uh, employment lawyer who I could get them in touch with quickly. So, uh, so if you feel. out there listening
1: are uh, an employment lawyer who's poly-friendly, <laughs> get in touch. Let us we'll know. Connect yeah, you guys um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, got it. Let's let's um, let's move on to a, a slightly happier, happier topic <laughs> here, <laughs> um, which is you were telling us about a case that you worked on recently in Maryland about actually getting parenting rights for three parents.
3: Yes, so this is one of a number of cases that have been happening around the country. Uh, This isn't the sort of case that you'll see articles written about because this was something where we were actually able to come to a settlement before there was actually even a trial. Uh, But basically, this case involved uh, two women who were in a relationship uh, with each other and uh, one of the women had sex with a man and got pregnant the two women decided to raise the child together the women ended up splitting up and then they were uh, living apart but sharing custody of the child then the father came back into the picture and first got you know every other weekend custody but then decided to seek full custody of uh of the child uh in a suit against the biological mother so my client was the person who this child was spending most of the time with uh basically at the point that this started it was five days a week the child was living with her but she was
1: the non-biological mother exactly she was a non-biological
3: mother Mm -hmm. right and so she wasn't the legal parent. Uh, mm-hmm. She wasn't uh, the biological parent. She wasn't an adoptive parent. Uh, you basically can't do an adoption when there's two uh, when there's two existing parents, hmm. unless well, unless someone agrees to completely give right, up yeah. their parental rights. Right. So fortunately, in 2016, Maryland, where this case was adopted a doctrine called de facto parenthood which mm-hmm. is something that's been done in a number of states and yeah, i think
2: california has adopted that is that right
3: something similar There's something
2: because i thought there was a similar case in california i was looking ago. at a
3: map a couple days ago and so there are gradations in terms of the level of protections I and see. for uh, for de facto parents. Mm-hmm. And California was not on the highest level, but it mm-hmm. was not on the lowest level. They're so sure. I okay. don't know the <laughs> in exact there detail for California. But, uh, but in Maryland, they got a really strong decision. Uh, and so a former live-in partner who meets the four criteria would be able to seek custody or visitation on an equal playing field with the biological or adoptive parent. Wow. Mm. Wow. Well. Uh, So those four things are that the biological or adoptive parent consented to and encouraged the petitioner's formation and establishment of a parent-like relationship with Mm. the child. Two, that the petitioner and the child lived together in the same household. Three, that the petitioner assumed obligations of parenthood by taking significant responsibility for the child's care, education, and development, including financial responsibility. And four, that the petitioner has been in a parental role for long enough to develop a, quote, bonded, dependent relationship, parental in nature. Hmm. So, if over the course of basically years, this right. person is treated as a parent by the legal parent, mm-hmm. and they're living in the house and they're contributing towards the child's well being and basically being a parent, mm-hmm. then they can contest for custody. Uh, on an equal ground, and then it's a matter of what's in the best interest of the child. I see. That's versus normally, someone who's not a biological or adoptive parent uh, who wants to get custody of a child would need to show that the other parent is unfit.
2: I see. Which okay. which
3: is which is tough to do, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and uh, so this this gave my client then sort of that equal standing. Mm. Then when we we went into court, uh, and uh, we were able to uh, establish that my client uh, qualifies as a de facto parent, mm. and basically once we got that, then we were able to work with the with the two biological parents to get a settlement that basically got everything that we were looking for, mm-hmm. uh, and my client is now recognized as a legal parent, oh. uh, and um, she has uh, physical custody joint physical custody and joint legal custody wow. uh-huh. of this child. Wow. Yeah. So That's with amazing. states
2: that do incorporate the de facto parenting thing, I mean, is this something that let's say it's not a situation where there's, you know, the biological parents splitting up, you know, kind of the situation that, that the case was, but as in three people who come together and decide we want to raise a child together, is there a way for them to proactively kind of get these parenting rights? Uh, granted, or or not, or is there not really a precedent for that yet?
3: It's not very developed yet. Mm-hmm. This all this sort of three-parent stuff is sort of cut the cut, cutting it seems edge like it's been of kind of a, of a little bit reactionary
2: yeah. to to a certain extent. Right. These yeah. these
3: fact patterns are coming up, and judges are starting to be more receptive to That's the good. idea that maybe having three parental figures is okay mm-hmm. and mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. maybe their rights can be protected.
2: Right, right. Huh.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's great that we've also, you know, there have been a number of talks today about either people's personal stories or like Dr. Elizabeth Chef's research about polyamorous families and yeah. hopefully as there's more and more of those sorts of longitudinal studies showing the well-being of children right. with multiple parents... Um, that hopefully more more judges and more lawmakers would start to come around to that. Right, mm-hmm. right. Absolutely. I don't know how yeah. far off that's going to be, but... It
2: it is probably just a bit. Probably a bit. I just, where my brain goes to is it seems like a big part of the de facto parent thing is that you already have to have these years of time to prove, like, the child has spent a lot of the child's time with this parent. This yeah. parent's been driving the kid to school, has been getting him to the doctor and whatever, but... In the case of like three people who just decide to want to have a baby together, they don't necessarily have that body of evidence there, you know, to prove that that this third person is a de facto parent. That seems like that would be the issue. Some time would have to
1: go by without those protections first, right?
2: So basically, it's important
3: to keep in mind that when you have people who are agreeing with each other they can divide the parental responsibilities however they want. Right. Mm-hmm. This is only something that comes into play when there's a dispute.
2: Right. But
1: right. but this example here of getting these parental protections, do these also then apply to things like, you know, like hospital visits or some of the classic examples used where family members and parents have more, you know, have more rights than... You know, your mom's boyfriend does, or your mom's girlfriend does something like that. It d- does it also apply to that, or is this really only about custody and about having an equal, you know, equal playing field in terms of fighting for that?
3: Well, so there's there's two parts of custody. There's physical custody and legal custody. Mm. Physical uh, custody. Right. Is, What's the difference?
1: Yeah. Uh, is
3: where the child spends time, you know, and who who is with the child. Uh, I so see. Know, every other weekend with this parent, or you know, one week with this parent, one week with the other parent. That's physical custody. Got it. Legal custody is about decision making, mm. uh, mostly about healthcare, education, mm. and religion.
2: Like, mm. like who can sign?
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and who who decides where? What child? Excuse me. What school the child goes to? Right. Uh, who decides if the child gets particular medical care or mm. dental care? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, if the child is raised in a particular religious faith, mm-hmm. uh, those are sort of the classic parental decision making that's part of legal custody.
1: Right. I see. And so in this example in Maryland, is this both legal and physical then you said? Yes. That's yes. Cool. The client
3: uh, got both. And so actually the legal custody is, uh, was granted to the three parents collectively. Wow. And so in theory, when any major decision has to be made in those areas, the three of them have to talk and to agree- wow. an agreement.
2: That's yeah. great. Well, best yeah. to luck well, to them on that. <laughs> I know.
0: So if something happens and you're in need of an attorney and you're polyamorous, how do you find an attorney that is poly-friendly? So,
2: Other than you and Diana Adams. Exactly. Basically.
0: Right. <laughs> Go to the two of you first and then, but if you're out of the state of Maryland or New York.
3: Right, uh, so there's a great list of uh, poly-friendly professionals. Uh, it's yes. a website yeah. you can look up and there are poly-friendly attorneys in probably 15 or 20 states who are listed. Right. Okay. Uh, if, if someone is hearing this and you are an attorney and you are poly-friendly and you are not on that list, Get on it. Yeah, get on that list. <laughs> yeah, um, is
2: that are you? So just to clarify, are you talking about the poly friendly professionals list that's run through like the NCSF? The so uh, so
3: NCSF does mm-hmm. the uh, kink aware prof- kink Right. Because okay, I'm in
2: that directory. Yeah. And
3: there's a there's a separate uh, poly friendly professionals.
2: Oh. Uh, list. Okay. Hmm. Got it.
1: Uh, maintained right. by the same people, or is it a totally it's separate? It's maintained thing? by a different organization. Okay,
3: is wow.
2: that something where people just Google "poly friendly professionals," yes. they'll find it. Yes. Okay. You nice.
3: just Type in "poly friendly professionals," and you will find it. Great. And you can search by what time, by what kind of professional, mm-hmm. and by state.
2: Oh okay. Which Excellent. is
3: particularly important in legal context. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Of course. For right. most of these things, it totally a depends state on state. state yeah. 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 Definitely. That
2: makes sense. Makes sense. Wow, I feel like we covered a lot of ground. We did,
1: a ton. I know. Is there, is there anything else that you feel like we haven't covered today that you would really, you feel like our listeners at home would be able to benefit from? I feel like we've covered so much.
2: Uh-huh.
3: I think it's good for now. Maybe I'll come <laughs> back next year and we'll <laughs> yeah, see what else I have for you. I, well, we sure come back to
2: Southwest Love Fest again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A lot more so information for us. Specifically, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? So you can
3: find my website for JD Lane Law at www.jdlanelaw.com. And you will find all my contact information on there.
2: Okay. Great. Well, excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you thank so much. You I Glenn. feel like we learned so much today. I seriously, yes. yeah. I feel like yeah. I had
1: a little like <laughs> law 100 for
0: non-layers <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was great.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you would like to have your question or comment played on the show, you can call our number at 678-MULTI05 and leave a voicemail, or you can send us an audio message at the Multiamory Facebook page. You can also email us at info at multiamory.com or send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jay Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from The Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring